reading is from uh, 1 Peter, chapter 1, starting at verse 13. Uh, if you've got one of the Pew Bibles, page 980, we'll get to the right spot. If not, start at the back and work forwards, you'll get there faster. So 1 Peter, reading verse 13 to 2 verse 3. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Good morning again. Um, we have 12 churches in the Brisbane Presbytery. So the Brisbane Presbytery is the north side of the river, and there's four of those churches that are working through 1 Peter together over these coming weeks. And so th today, um, you would notice we prayed for Wavell Heights Church. Next week, we might be praying for Wilston Church, so we're praying for the other churches as well. So be encouraged to know you're part of something bigger. Um, and it was fun during the week talking through this passage with the others who will be preaching on it today, including Lawrence, who will preach on it tonight at Night Church. So you, if you want, you can have two bites at the cherry. And if you are going to do that, this is one of those passages it's well worth doing that for because it's got layers to it. It's just layer upon layer, and there's links backwards and forwards through 1 Peter. Um, so any extra time you can have in it, I think it's time well spent. But let's pray as we come to think about these verses now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would be at work in our hearts. Um, Lord, please help us to be obedient to your word. We pray that we would be living holy lives while we wait for Jesus to return. And we pray in his name. Amen. If you want to get a pet dog to do something, if you want to change the behaviour of a pet dog, it's relatively simple. It involves food and lots of repetition. And you can teach a dog to do just about anything. Children, well, you can still do it. 
You can still do it. That's a little bit more complex, but you can still do it. And then there's adults. Wouldn't it be so much easier if people just wanted to do what's right without needing rewards, without needing punishment, just wanted to do what's right? Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be just so easy? Today's passage in the Bible it gets us thinking about the kind of behaviour changes that you should expect to see in a Christian, someone who professes to be a follower of Jesus. So, for example, in verse 14 it says, don't conform to the evil desires you once had. Or in verse 15 it says, be holy, and quotes the Old Testament book of Leviticus and says, be holy because God's holy. 1 verse 22 says, love each other. Down in chapter 2, verse 1, it talks about ridding yourself of all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander, and don't worry, we'll get to there. But they're the kind of behaviour changes that you would expect or want to see in a Christian, someone who professes to be a follower of Jesus. When you become a Christian, you are expected to change, and we'll change in ways that other people will notice. Other people will see that we are now different. We'll change in ways that other people benefit from. I mean, look again at 2 verse 1. If you're like that, the people around you have a better life. But our change in behaviour, it's not motivated by dog food. Our change in behaviour is not motivated by rewards or by punishment. In this passage, it's hope and God's word that motivate us to change. It's hope in God's word that leads to godliness. So in the sermon outline, you'll see I've tried to show what I think are two of the key points in the passage, two keys to the way this change works. First, we focus on Jesus. So we have our hope firmly in Jesus, and that motivates us to change. And then second, we let God's word, his powerful word, work on our hearts, changing our desires, transforming our hearts, so that our hope will be focused on Jesus, and then our behavior will follow. Um, There's another way to put it. In its context, as you're looking across 1 Peter, another way you can put it is the second half of chapter 1, of 1 Peter is telling us to be who we are in the first half of chapter 1. So first half of chapter 1 explains who we are. You look down through that list um, of, of, of who we are. We're, we're God's people. That's our identity. Verse 1, we're elect. Verse 2, we're chosen. Verse 3, we're born again. Verse 4, we have this permanent inheritance. Verse 9, we're saved. Verses 10 to 11, we've got the fulfillment of every Old Testament expectation, everything the prophets longed for. And then verse 12, by responding to the word preached to us, we've got all that. We become God's people. That's who we are. That's our identity. And so now we're aliens and strangers moving through this world, waiting for our home in heaven with God, just passing through on our way home. Um, Verse uh, 1 to 12 describes who we are, and then verses 13 onwards says, so live like that live like who you are. So our motivation to be godly is to be who we are in Christ. Um, Verse 13 starts with a therefore and tells us how to live as people who belong to God with our hope fixed on Jesus. 2 verse 1 has another therefore. I think they're almost in parallel. 2 verse 1, it's it's none of the theory, it's the application, change your behaviour. And then finishes by saying, be thirsty to keep growing in your salvation. So that's, you've got the fly over the passage, that's the push of this half of um, chapter 1 and into chapter 2. Be who, who you are as God's people. Expect that you will change as a follower of Jesus. And then as you look across it, you've got those themes of, of, hope, of hope 
and holiness running through it. And just before we get any further, do a bit of definition work. What does it actually mean to be holy? So um, Peter quotes the Old Testament book of Leviticus. If you open up the Old Testament book of Leviticus, it teaches that God is holy. God is separate. God is other. God is completely without sin. He's of another order. 1 verse 15, Peter says to us to be holy and quotes Leviticus. Be holy because God is holy. Or be holy because I am holy. He's quoting God's words. And for us to be holy, it means for us to be set apart, to belong to God. There was a sermon once where I said, um, my watch is holy to me. It belongs to me. There's that sort of sense to it. As a Christian, we belong to God. We are holy to God. We live in a way that we ought to live in a way that is pleasing to God and brings glory to him. God is the one, though, who made us holy. He's the one who picked us, elected us in chapter one. Um, He's the one who's dealt with our sin through Jesus. It's in Jesus that God has provided the means for us to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be holy, to be his. So what does it mean for us to be holy? Well, it means to live in a way that's appropriate as God's people, as people who belong to God. And so this passage, as you look at it, it grows our understanding of what it means to be holy. Second definition, hope. Uh, when, these days when you think of hope, you kind of think of the blind trust kind of thing or the, or the wishful thinking idea. So an irrational, unsubstantiated feeling that things are going to get better when maybe they're not. That's, that's hope in our common language, but that's not hope for Peter. Um, to Peter, hope is waiting patiently for a future certainty, waiting for what you know is coming. Um, To Peter, hope means waiting patiently for a future certainty because we know, chapter 1, verse 25, that God's word endures forever. He says something, it will not change. You can trust his word, and he says Jesus is returning. So hang on to that hope. Um, Just like uh, Peter goes into Leviticus to get you thinking about holiness, in this passage in verse 24, he goes back into Isaiah, where you've been in growth group, Isaiah chapter 40. You know, Remember how Isaiah 40 opens with this message of comfort? post-exile, after the exile, the message of comfort, your, your um, sin has been dealt with, um, this sort of absolute certainty that that's where you're heading. Um, that's what Paul, Peter picks up on in verse 24. You can be sure and certain. You can have that kind of hope, hope that's focused on what's already certain. So as you look in the Old Testament, the way the Old Testament people were encouraged to hope was to hope in God, to find their security and their confidence only in God. In the New Testament, our hope is found in God still, but in Christ. In the New Testament, our hope is the assured outworking of the finished work of Jesus. He will return and we'll have everything that we're due to inherit back in chapter 1. And so that's where we pick up in chapter 13. And now we'll start stepping through the passage. So verse 13 says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Set your hope, your confidence on Jesus' return. Have your focus on Jesus and on the grace that will be yours when Jesus returns. Um, When Jesus returns, we'll know the full fruit of Jesus' finished work on the cross. You'll know absolute forgiveness. We'll be a long way from the suffering and the trials of this life. It will fade into insignificance. When Jesus returns, we'll be able to enjoy everything that it means to be God's children. Peter says, set your hope on that. 
chapter 1, verse 4, when Jesus returns, we'll have that full inheritance, everything. Focus on Jesus and the expectation of his certain return. Have that kind of hope. But that's easier said than done because there's so many ways we can be distracted from focusing on Jesus. And that's where um, Rodney took us into at the start of the service. It's not easy to fix your hope on the grace that will be brought when Jesus returns. If you have a look at verse 13 again, you get this picture of a battle, this girding up your loins idea. It might have been like um, when the, the people of, of God after the exile, they, after the exodus, they came out and they had their Passover meal with their clothes all tucked in, ready to run, ready to be sojourners. It might be that sort of language. But it's, fix your hope on, um, but it's this idea of girding up your loins or rolling up your sleeves getting everything out of the way so that you can work hard at this so you can prepare your minds for action. Peter's saying, have minds that are prepared for work. He talks about being fully sober and, or completely self-controlled. So focusing on Jesus, it will take work. It will take effort. It's a mental exercise to do it. And as you read on, I think you'll agree that feeding your mind with God's word will keep your mental loins girded. It will keep you prepared as you feed on God's word. This battle involves transforming your mind, changing your mind and your desires. So verse 14 says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. As people who are followers of Jesus, we want to be obedient to him. And that involves our mind being changed, our desires being changed. We've been born again back in chapter 1, verse 3. God is now our father, you'll see in the next verse. And then when you look at the end of verse 14, we once lived in ignorance, but we're not any longer. How are we no longer in ignorance? Well, you just, the therefore, remember, work through the therefore back to verse 12. We've heard the gospel preached to us. We are no longer ignorant. God is now working us by his word. And so as we focus our hope on Jesus, as we consider the truth of God's word in the gospel, God will be at work changing our desires, changing our heart. And our behaviour will change because we then want to change. So this theme of holiness, it keeps going. Um, I've already pointed out in 1 verse 15, Peter quotes Leviticus, where God says, I'm holy, so you should be holy. You keep working down, you come to verse 17. It may sound like verse 17 is motivating us out of fear, but it's not quite that simple because it's God our Father whom we fear. So look at verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners or sojourners here in reverent fear. We know that our home is in heaven with our father in heaven. And while we wait for Jesus' return, we're like sojourners, foreigners, aliens passing through on our way home. And our reverent fear of God there. It's not an anxious fear of an unpredictable tyrant of a God. It's the kind of fear and regard and respect you would have for a good father. That's the kind of fear it is. But our father in heaven is also the one who will judge. And so you're holding this intention. It's our father in heaven, but the one who judges. We fear him. We have respect for him and regard for him because he's also our judge. But you keep reading on. He's also our loving father who's redeemed us. So in verses 18 to 21, it's like Peter gets carried away as he describes everything that God's done for us in Jesus, redeeming us back, buying us back. Um, the Jesus who we need to focus our thoughts and our hopes on. Um, we, we have this reverent fear for God who's provided a means 
for us to be forgiven. So look at verse 18. Um, For you know that it's not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your your ancestors, but with the precious blood of of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. It's very wordy. It's Peter getting enthusiastic and carried away with his Old Testament Exodus language again. How are we to be godly? How are we to go about being holy? Well, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We fix our eyes on the, on the grace that we will be revealed when he returns. And we fix our, our hope in him. And we fear our Father God, who's made it possible for us to be forgiven We gird up the loins of our minds, roll up our mental sleeves and get busy fighting to have our faith in Jesus and focused on him and our hope in the grace that will be be revealed. Um, The best way, I think, to um, gird up your loins is to let God's powerful work keep transforming your heart. So we keep rolling through the passage and you see it there in verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for one another, for each other, Love one another deeply from the heart. As you allow God's word to work at your minds, he changes us, making us obedient to his word. Our actions will, be trans- will transform the way we treat other people. We will have a genuine love for others. A sure sign of the fact that you are growing as a Christian is that you can love brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus himself said, others will know that you are my, my followers if you love one another. It's that same idea. Part of being holy means changing the way you relate to those around you. Um, We're to be holy because God is holy. God loves and so we are to love with the same kind of love. But when you look at verse 22, it's God's word that's doing that work of changing our minds, working in us. So verse 23 keeps going. Um, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. This quote from Isaiah 40, bringing the Old Testament hope forward to us. Um, God's word does not change. It endures. You can keep trusting him. You can have his hope firmly fixed in him. And then you come to the second therefore in the passage. So when you look at 2 verse 1, therefore rid yourself of all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. You look at that list, it's the exact opposite of having love, sincere love for one another. Focusing on Jesus and feeding on God's word leads you to change the way that you treat each other. Um, We put off malice. Malice, if you think about it, it's a festering sort of spite towards someone else. You you can't be like that as a Christian. God should be at work in you, transforming you. You can't have malice. That's not appropriate, and so put it off. But you know better than, than I, the last time that you struggled with malice, Peter's saying, just get rid of it. It's not appropriate. Don't live like that. Um, We're to put off deceit. 
Think about what it means to deceive someone, to lead them astray. It's not a very loving thing to do. When you deceive someone, though, you're hiding who you really are. But as Christians, it's plain who we are. We're sinners. But we're forgiven sinners. What have you got to hide? Put off deceit. Don't act that way around each other. Hypocrisy. Saying one thing and doing another. Preaching one thing and doing another. Put it off. Envy. Slander. We can be really clever with slander. We can kind of build someone up and then put a spin on our compliments so that we make it sound like they're not so good. We can be very subtle with that. But that's all inappropriate. That's not what it means to live as God's people. So you look back through the passage. um, Verse 13 to 14 is the engine room of the passage. Focus on Jesus as God's people who fear our Father in heaven um, and who trust in God's work through Jesus. Allow God's powerful word to keep working in you, transforming your hearts so that your hope is firmly in Jesus. And then our passage finishes with a final encouragement to just keep on being thirsty to grow. It looks, if you look at verse 2, it says, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Um, we haven't had a little baby in our home for a long time, but you've probably got grandkids around. You know what babies are like when they're hungry. They cry, they scream, they fuss, they want to be fed. Um, I have fed a baby with a bottle before. You see how vigorously they suck until the thing's gone. That's the kind of picture language here. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation. It's the food that keeps you alive. It's the food that keeps you growing. Crave God's word like that. Now that you've tasted that it's good, back in verse 12, now that it's at work in you, keep craving God's word. Suck like you depend on it, is what it's saying. That's a pretty big reason to keep opening God's word, isn't it? To be hungry, to keep feeding the faith that's begun in you. When you think about it, our lives depend on God's word in a very serious way, and you can see it now. as It's one of those layers running through 1 Peter chapter 1, this dependence upon the gospel, on God's word. So as you look across um, 1 Peter chapter 1 and into chapter 2, it's telling us like, to be godly, but that means for us to be who we are. And so when the kids are out in Cape City Kids now, they'll be doing a lesson that this is the artist's impression. Theirs will be better than this, obviously. But they'll be making a board, not a banner this time, over the next six weeks they'll be putting on different aspects of what it means to be God's people. Because that's what Peter's teaching us. What does it mean to be God's people? Um, they'll have their little hands or whatever decorations around to, so this is them, God's people. This is what it means to be God's people. It's a simple picture, but it's kind of handy to have in mind. That's the letter of 1 Peter. Keep growing as God's people. Keep growing in holiness. Keep being motivated by Jesus' return to live holy lives. Keep feeding yourself on God's word. I'm going to pray for us, and hopefully you've got plenty to... Like, it's one of those passages that's just dense. So go back through and keep talking about it. But I'll pray, and that'll finish us up for now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the amazing way that you've made it possible for us sinful, unholy people to be your people. Thank you for the way that you've done that through Jesus' death and resurrection. Lord, we pray that as your people, we pray that you would be continuing to work in us through the gospel, through your word. Lord, please keep transforming our minds and renewing us, changing our desires. And Lord, please help us to help each other to keep living for you. We pray that we would make every effort to be holy. And we pray that you would be at work in us through your word. 
and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.